The Lord has been good to us today, and we need to honor Him and honor what His Word says to us. And I want to begin reading in 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 11. But one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body also in Christ, also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. We were all made to drink of one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you have made us all different and all unique, but that we have the same Father. That through Christ Jesus we have all come into one body that although we are different and serve in different roles and functions within that body, it is still one body. And as we talk this morning about having a team spirit, the will to win and what it takes to have the attitude of the body of Christ that you desire us to have, the spirit that you desire us to have in our midst, and is so often so present and obvious in our midst even as we worship week in and week out. Holy Spirit of God, empower us to live lives that are supernatural and for the good of the body and to the glory of God, in whose name we pray, amen. The Chicago Bulls are having a little problem. Scottie Pippen wants the ball. <clears throat> Phil Jackson called a timeout the other night when the ball game was tied with the New York Knicks. And there was an obvious verbal exchange between Phil Jackson and Scottie Pippen. Pippen thought with two seconds to go in the game tied, I'm the heir apparent to Michael Jordan. I am the reason we are here. I want the ball. Phil Jackson is the head coach, knows more, that's why he's the head coach. And he said, everybody's going to key on Scottie Pippen. We'll give it to a guy they don't expect to get it. The coach was right. Pippen was wrong. Pippen displayed at that moment a lack of team spirit. He was more interested in him winning the game than in the team winning the game. He was more interested in the microphone for his great heroics on the court than for Tony Kukoc to get the heroics and the honor and the accolades. Have you ever played on a team with somebody who always wanted to be a hot dog? One of the teammates of Reggie Jackson said when asked about playing with Reggie Jackson, he said, there's not enough mustard in the world to cover that hot dog. One boxing promoter said when asked about a a boxer that he used to work with, he said his greatest dream is to die in his own arms. (laughs) Bo Belinsky was a pitcher in the major leagues. They asked him if he enjoyed being a pitcher. He said, you bet. He said, my only regret is I can't sit in the stands and watch myself pitch. (laughs) You ever been around anybody like that? That's the opposite of what the church is supposed to be like. That's the opposite of the picture that God paints for his church. In fact, the military has a term, esprit de corps, 
which means, it's a French word, it means the spirit of a body. One of the things that is so often said about us by people who visit us and people who come here is there's such a spirit in that church. At the, one of the weddings yesterday, I was standing around talking with a, a couple that have left here, and they would talk about the, that there's just not the spirit in the church that they're in like they felt when they were here. That is something to be valued. It is not something to take pride in. It is something to keep us on our knees before God, knowing that only God creates that kind of spirit. Only God creates that kind of body. But how do we, the, the, the spirit of the body, the esprit de corps, it fits real well into theological thinking. How do we get that? And how do we keep it going? And how do we make sure that it is God's spirit that is evident? How do we have the kind of team mentality that we all pull together for a common goal and a common cause and a common purpose? We have a mission statement that tells us what we're here for. How do we enact that? How do we live that out? How do we live in such a way that we have the kind of team spirit that when the world looks at us, they know that we are different and it's not anything that you can produce in the flesh, but only the Spirit of God can do that in your midst. I'm afraid that we are like the sports columnists who said the problem with the big leagues is there are not many big leaguers. There are a lot of guys playing big league ball that are not really big leaguers. The more you expand professional sports, the more you let C-plus and B-minus and B players play in an elite group of people and you make them look like they're elite when they're really not. They don't have the ability to make the cut in a small defined group, but you keep expanding because of money and eventually they get to play. The problem in the church is the church so often doesn't have a big league mentality and that we want to keep everything small. We want the church to be small. We want the staff to be small. We want the buildings to be small. We don't want the restrooms to be small, but we want everything else to be small. We want it to be nice and comfortable where I know you and you know me and we're a happy family and we want Barney to be the pastor. <laughs> The truth of the matter is, when the church is a body, the body is always growing. How do you and I demonstrate a team spirit? And how do we generate it? Well, let's look at verse 4. There are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. There are varieties of ministries and the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. First of all, there's a common experience. There's a common experience. It is a common experience through God the Father. In verse 6, it tells us that we have a variety of effects, but the same Father, the same God. Now, that little word effects means what is worked out or what is energized. You see, you're different and I'm different. God gives you certain gifts and He gives me certain gifts, but they all come from the same Father. They are all energized and worked out by the same God. They are supernaturally given and supernaturally empowered. Billy Graham has the obvious gift of evangelism and that he can make a mass appeal to people and by the thousands and thousands they will come and respond to the gospel. 
But that is no different than the gift of evangelism that's manifested and worked out in different ways with a person who is very comfortable in talking to people one-on-one about their need for the Savior but never feels comfortable in front of a large group. The gift of mercy is worked out in different ways. Some people can go to hospitals and exhibit the gift of mercy. Others can sit by bedsides of shut-ins. Some people can do it by just caring for people in their Sunday school class. There are a lot of different ways that the gift of mercy works itself out. But they are all given by the same God. It is not a set formula. There is no cookie-cutter Christianity that says we just have mercy or evangelism or administration or teaching and this is the only way it can be done. There are people with the gift of teaching. Some of them lecture. Some of them get involved in discussion and dialogue. Some of them stand up. Some of them sit down, but they all have the same gift. But they serve the same Father. That's the key. Secondly, it's because of His Son. The emphasis of Scripture is on lordship. And the Lord gives varieties of ministries. Now what's key about that is that word ministries is the same word in the Greek that is translated servant or deacons. Now we got a variety of deacons, don't we? But they're all deacons. They have different gifts. They have different abilities. But he's not talking about an office there. He's talking about what God gives all of us. In our common experience, we have the same servant. We have the same servant heart and spirit that gives gifts. Jesus came to minister to others. And His Spirit empowers us to minister to other people just like He did. You see, all of the gifts are really service gifts. They are given by God to us because of salvation through Jesus Christ and distributed by the Spirit to serve the body of Christ. They're not given so we can look in the mirror and say, I have this gift, aren't I wonderful? (laughs) That's not why we get them. We get them to serve other people. Peter repeats this in 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 10. Each one has received a special gift. Employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. You see, you and I are stewards of the gifts that God has given us. And we exhibit the fact that grace has been given to us by serving God with the gifts that He has given us. Thirdly, it is in God the Holy Spirit. He says varieties of gifts. Now that word varieties means allotments or distributions of gifts. It is the apportionments of gifts. What he's talking about there is that the, the Holy Spirit is like the CEO of the Godhead. He takes the gifts given by the Father through His Son, and He says, you need this one, and 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 if all of you use these things together, I'll make this thing work. He's the one that runs the gifts, if you will. He empowers the gifts. John MacArthur said spiritual gifts are supernaturally given by the Holy Spirit only and always to believers to equip them to minister supernaturally to others, especially each other. If those gifts are not being used or used rightly, the work of God 
is hindered. Now look again at verses 11 and 13, and I want you to see about what the Holy Spirit does in our lives in the use of these gifts. In verse 11, where he talks about, but one and the same Spirit works all these things, distributing to each one individually just as he wills. You could write by verse 11 the word enabling. Enabling. God enables us to serve him. In verse 13, he says, We were baptized, all baptized, into one body, and all made to drink of one spirit. Now, what verse 13 tells us is that there is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The enabling of the Holy Spirit and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. He enables because he indwells. He indwells and therefore he enables. What he asks you to do, he equips you to do. What he asks you to do, he empowers you to do. There's nothing elitist, all baptized, all made to drink of one spirit. Some of the Christians don't have the spirit and others have it, or some got it another dose of it. All, Paul says, everyone who has Christ has the spirit. All of us indwelt by the spirit. Now there's a common experience. But then there's the common good. Why do we do what we do? Verse 7, To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. The verb means to bring together. It can be also translated to be mutually beneficial. God gives what He gives through the Spirit for mutual beneficial work to be advantageous to the body. Now here's what happens to us. It is easy for us to concentrate on the area that we are interested in and not see the whole picture. One of the reasons why God calls pastors to churches, to lead churches and to shepherd the flock of God, which is a scriptural commandment, and to equip the saints for the work of ministry is for this very reason. This is a problem in every church I've ever been in. It's a problem at every church in the world. It will be a problem until Jesus comes back. That is, people get their own agendas and their own plans and they begin to promote their own ministries and they don't see anybody else's ministry. It happens all the time. Now let's just kind of walk through it. I'll leave somebody out, but I'll just walk through it. No, the young marriage want everything done for young marriage. The singles want everything done for singles. The senior adults want everything done for senior adults. The preschool wants everything done for preschool. By the way, we better change them. The children want everything done for the children. The young people want everything done. And then you get the youth workers, and they want to know why the youth ministry is not being promoted. And the children's workers want to know why children's ministry is not being promoted. And the singles workers want to know why singles ministry is not being promoted. And the senior adults want to know why nothing's being done for them. And, and this group wants to know why this is not being done. And this group over here wants to know why you haven't promoted this and this group wants you to give pulpit time to this and this group wants you to promote this and this group wants you to announce this and everybody wants you to do that and then they say pastor what do you do besides preach on Sunday it is a constant task to put food on everybody's plate and not gorge some and starve others see churches can get to be known to be a one dimensional church That's not what Paul said. Paul said it's for the common good. It's not for a group, an age group, an interest group, 
a person's personal persuasion or a person's personal gifts. The ministry of the church is for the common good so that every member of the body benefits from the total ministry of the church. Every member benefits. Every member is blessed. Every member is working. Every member is doing their part. Not just to say, my ministry, my agenda, my area, but all areas. Look at verse 18. But now God has placed the members, each one of them, in the body just as He desired. We're all different. But we are to follow His game plan and to follow His agenda and to do things His way with the gifts that He has given us. We can't lose sight of the big picture. For 15 years I did youth work. For 15 years I thought the only ministry in the church that mattered was the youth ministry. I didn't think anybody else's ministry mattered. I didn't care. They didn't put anything on the calendar. I didn't care. They didn't have anything going. I didn't care. The only thing I cared about was youth ministry. When I got on the other side of the big desk that I always thought I could sit at, I found out that chair was real big. And I found out that my little tunnel vision had to become like this, seeing the whole picture seeing the whole picture of what all God's trying to do. You see, this is not the choir's church. It's not the youth ministry's church. It's not the, it's not the singles ministry church. It's not a preschool church. It's not a senior adult church. It's just a church. And if we lose focus on that, we lose focus on who we are. Now, sometimes they're screaming from one end because we're not taking care of it. And that's just a reminder, hey... You're not taking care of the common good. You're not taking care of the common good. I talked to my dad last night, and, and he was talking about how everybody screams for things. You know, we got to talking, and, and he just got to talking about everybody. He said, you know, he said, we got about 50 or 60 senior adults in, in our Sunday school department. He said, and every Sunday, some of them are griping, this church never does anything for me. This church never does anything for me. This church never does anything for me. He said, we have a lunch once a month. He said, some of them have never been there. And the next Sunday, they're saying, this church never does anything for me. This church never does anything for me. You don't get that, do you? You never hear that, do you? You've never had anybody say, this church never does anything for me, have you? Don't laugh like that, Tony. <laughs> Look at verse 14. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I am not a part of the body. It is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I am not a part of the body, it is not for this reason any the less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? And if the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? Now, verse 27, you are Christ's body and individually members of it. You see, the Corinthians were divided where they should have been unified. And they were pushing for uniformity where there should have been diversity. Looking out for the common good. Now, look at this picture that he's talking. He's talking about the body and the eye. If the whole body were an eye, if the whole body were an ear, all that kind of stuff. Can you imagine a body with only an eye? This little thing rolling down the road all the time, just, just kind of rolling. Or an ear. Now, I'm going to admit to you, I have met some bodies that were all mouth. <laughs> the foot says, what? 
I'm the only thing that's important. Okay, foot, after you get there, how are you going to pick up what you went for? You don't have a hand. You don't have an eye to even see it. You can't even get there because you don't know where you're going unless the eye tells you where you're supposed to go. And you can't hear for what's about to run over you if you don't have an ear. You see, there's room for diversity. Why? Because of the common good. Now, not only the common good, but a common purpose. Verse 12. Verse 12. For even as the body is one and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. Now notice, that is a key phrase in this passage. He did not say, so also is the church. He said, so also is Christ. Why? Because the church is an extension of Christ. Christ is not an extension of the church. We are one body, and that body is Christ. That means we are the visible, tangible expression of Christ in this world as a body. So through a body, the spiritual Christ functions in a physical environment. That's what Paul's saying in verse 12. Through the body, through the church, the spiritual Christ, seated at the right hand of the Father, ascended into heaven, is now functioning in a physical environment through something that he set aside called the church. So also is Christ. Alan Redpath said, As the body of Christ on earth, we are here to fulfill in our lives and through our testimony that which is Christ, that which Christ in his physical life began. So it's through our lives and by his power we are the body. We make the invisible Christ visible. If the world is ever going to see what Jesus Christ is all about, they're going to have to see it in us. John said it when he said, As he is, so are we in this world. Now how do we demonstrate team spirit? First of all, team spirit is demonstrated as a result of unity. As a result of unity. Look at verse Verses 4 through 6, the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. The same Spirit. There's a unity in us. What divides us and what is different about us is not as important as what, as, as what we have in common with one another. We have in common the same Father, the same Son, and the same Spirit. That is what brings us together. What brings us together is not whether we are Democrats or Republicans, whether we are political or apolitical or non-political or hyper-political. None of those things bring us together. What brings us together is the same Spirit, the same Lord, and the same Father God of us all. That is the result of unity. And when the church understands that, there are four blessings. First of all, believers receive a personal blessing. Believers receive a personal blessing. There is nothing like finding your niche in the church and staying with it. Nothing like it. You see, when you're early on in your faith, when, when you're trying to figure out what it is God wants you to do and trying to figure out how you grow and mature in your relationship to Jesus Christ, 
You can bounce around and say, well, you know, I, maybe, I kind of like young people. So you work with young people. Well, you know, I kind of like children. Work with children. for Well, I kind of like preschoolers. And you, well, I kind of like this. I kind of like that. And you kind of bounce around. But sooner or later, and more sooner than later, you've got to come to, where does God want me to serve? And when you find your niche and find your area and fulfill your call and figure out what it is God exactly placed on your heart for you to do, you'll find out you're going to get a blessing out of doing that. Now, I'm sitting here and I'm looking at J.P. and Louise McDaniel. And they have been in this church a long, long time. They have long since passed retirement age. But if we were to have people in this church stand up who they have worked with their preschoolers, there would be dozens, if not hundreds of people that have now gotten married, have children of their own, and they're coming back through our preschool, and they're still there. They didn't quit. They didn't retire. They didn't say, I'm too busy. I'm too old. I'm too feeble. I've watched them barely be able to walk in this building and go and sit in that four-year-old apartment and say, I'm serving. I found my niche, and it's a blessing. And you know what? They never gripe about how loud four-year-olds are. You know what that is? That's receiving a personal blessing for being where God wants you to be. Now, that's just one of many examples. Number two, the church has an effective witness. The church has an effective witness. Every believer becomes a part of the team, and so the community begins to be impacted. Number three, the leadership base is broadened, and future leaders are trained. The leadership base is broadened, and future leaders are trained. Now, this church is no different from any other church. Statistics tell us that 80% of the people don't do anything. And 20% of the membership of a church does 80% of the work. Now, I just want to ask you a real simple question, and you don't have to be a college graduate to answer this one. If 20% of your physical body was functioning, where would you be right now? You wouldn't be sitting in church. You would be at ICU, CCU, and on your way to the funeral home. And the church cannot function if only 20% of the body is working. I didn't say existing. I said working. The church cannot function if only 20% of the body is working. Say, well, I can't do much. Then do what you can. So I'm not very talented. That's not the issue. Do what you can. Because the leadership base is broad. And why? Because in that kind of environment, people begin to rise to the top and people begin to come to the forefront and they begin to step up into positions of leadership and ministries can be expanding. We're doing all we can do right now with the leadership that we have. For us to do any more, leadership has to be broadened. And we have to get more people involved. If we've got 200 people that are elected leaders of this church, and when I mailed out a letter two weeks ago, we mailed about 235 letters out to elected leaders of this church. My friends, not elected leaders, just the fact that you are a leader, that's going to have to go up to about 900 people in the next 90 days. So I don't know if I want to do that. Well, I'm going to tell you, we can't afford for anybody else to sit in the cheap seats and throw peanuts at the team that's trying to play the ball. 
We can't do it. If you want to sit in cheap seats, go somewhere else. Because I'm drawing a line in the sand, my friend, and I'm saying this is where we're going. You want to go? Or you want to sit in the stands and watch life pass you by? There's a community to reach. There's a place to touch. And we've got to begin to do it. And we cannot do it with 20% of the people doing 80% of the work. By the way, 20% of the people in the church give 80% of the money. That can't happen either. For a church this size to operate takes $15 per member per week. That's you and your wife going out to eat one time a week. And that's at a cheap place. $15 per member per week for this church to function like it should function. You see, when we get involved in unity, then we're all going to pitch in. We're not going to look and see if we, that the big hitters are going to give. And if the people who keep bailing us out are going to bail us out, we're all going to take our responsibility and be a part. By the way, you don't get free tickets to Atlanta Braves baseball games. Somebody pays for them. And the day has got to be over when people think they can come to the church and it's free and it doesn't cost them anything. It does cost you. It costs Jesus His blood to get you in the door of the church in the first place and it costs you something to be a member of the body of Christ. That is your time, your talent, your tithe, your testimony, getting involved and letting the leadership base be brought. Number four, there's a team spirit throughout the organization. There's a team spirit throughout the organization. Not only... Is it the result of unity? It is born out of respect for others. Verse 22. On the contrary, it is much truer that the members of the body, which, notice what he says in verse 22, seem to be weaker, are necessary. And those members of the body which we deem less honorable, on these we bestow more abundant honor, and our unseemly members come to have more abundant seemliness. Now, there's two things about those two verses. First of all, the less visible may be more vital. The less visible may be more vital. I like what Henry Jordan said. He played with the Green Bay Packers. And they asked him one time about Coach Lombardi. He said, oh, Coach Lombardi treats us all the same. He treats us like dogs. Well, Paul says that there are some parts of the body that seem to be weaker but they are necessary. You see, the Corinthian attitude was some of us are more important than others of us. Paul says that's wrong. We should never consider ourselves unnecessary, nor should we spend our time hugging ourselves to death about how important we are to the body of Christ. All are necessary. Now, which do you have to have to live? A hand or your liver? This is not a hard question. <laughs> liver. Which is the most visible? Which is the most necessary? Liver. Which do you have to have? Your eyes or your stomach? Stomach. The stomach is a little less seemly. I mean, none of us want to see stomach surgery right now not just before lunch. But I'm going to tell you something. You could live without your eyes, but you can't live without a stomach. You see, sometimes we put importance on the parts we see. The eyes, the ears, the nose, the mouth, 
the hands, the feet. And God says not all of those are as important as the parts that you don't see. You see, you don't see the heart, but you can't live without it. The things inside may seem to be weaker, but you cut an artery and you're dead in a matter of minutes. You see, it may seem to be weaker, but it's necessary. And the life of this church is not wrapped up in a few visible staff members and a few visible lay leaders. The life of this church is wrapped up in all of the body taking their responsibility and running with it and playing their position on the field. Now, not only is the less visible maybe more vital, but those that are less notable may be more necessary. Those that are less notable may be more necessary. I like Joe Gargiola. I had a chance one time, uh, Terry and I had a chance to, to sit in the NBC broadcast booth uh, with Joe Gargiola and Tony Kubek, sit right behind them and, and watch them call an Atlanta Braves game. It was in the years when we would have given anything to have beaten the Los Angeles Dodgers. There were 7,000 people in the stadium on a Saturday afternoon. NBC was broadcasting the game and the Braves won 15 to 1. You would have thought Pentecost had fallen. I mean, you just, you can't imagine. And by the way, Joe Gargiola is actually as bald as he looks on TV. But Joe Gargiola made this statement about his life. He said, I was always the player to be named later. Some of you feel that way. I'm not a big hitter. I'm not the big star. I'm not the big scorer. I'm not the one that makes it happen. I'm just the player to be named later. Those less notable may be more necessary. Now, what do we mean by that? Let me, let me try to illustrate it a little bit. That means that the people who walk around here during worship services in the hallways and outside and stand outside the doors and everything else with the walkie-talkies that work security are just as vital as the people who showed up this morning to teach Sunday school. That means that those that are in the back right now changing diapers are just as vital as those that taught 50 in Sunday school this morning. That means that the people who stand at the doors and hand you a bulletin and smile at you, hopefully they smile at you, and greet you, are just as important as anybody else. You see, every Monday night we hand out bread. Our guests see, first-time guests get a loaf of bread, and they see these people come to the door. Hi, here's a loaf of bread. Nobody in this room can probably name the people who make that bread every Monday morning. But if they didn't come up here and make bread on Monday, we couldn't hand out bread on Monday night. You see, everybody is necessary. Oh, I just, I, I can't do much. Can you do anything? Yeah. Well, then do it. Then do it. You know, I, I read about these churches, and, and uh, this is one of the things that we're going to try to do. You know, there, there are churches that they've got people, when you pull in their parking lot, I mean, they've got people out there greeting them. Hey, how you doing? Waving, just go here, park your car right here. I mean, they got people, two spots over here, bring them over here. I mean, it looks like the county fair. You know, they're bringing them all in. They're waving at them. I mean, before they ever get in the door of the church. Hi, how are you? Good to see you. Good to have you here. Guy, how are you? Good to see you. I mean, if it's raining, they're out there with galoshes on and big old yellow raincoats and, and umbrellas, and they're walking out to the cars, and they're helping these people get out. Here's what we do. We lean up against the wall and say, 
Boy, he sure did stop a long way to let her out in this rain, didn't he? She's going to get wet. She's going to be mad at him. Yeah, I stopped that far out this morning, too. My wife's mad at me. Mm. Well, I tell you, sure is raining, isn't it? I wonder if that silk can be dry cleaned. <laughs> raining, isn't it? Oh, isn't that something? See what we do? We think that's not an important job, so we don't do it. That is an important job. Because before they ever hear a sermon, before they ever hear a song, before they ever sit in a Sunday school class, they've driven up on our grounds and they've walked into our buildings and they have made an impression that we cannot change with music or a message. Everybody's important. Everybody fits into the team. You see, common sense tells you that you've got to have diversity to be more effective. And that diversity is within biblical boundaries. Now, it's also bathed in a commitment to others. Verse 25, 26, and 27. That there should be no division in the body, but that the members should have the same care for one another. And if one member suffers, all the members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. You are Christ's body and individually members of it. See, it's a commitment to others. It's not complaining, boy, I wish I had that gift. I wish they didn't have that gift. I wish I had that gift. I don't like the way they lose their, use their gift. It's God, you have given me a gift. The arm doesn't have one plan and the, and the foot has another one and the eye has another one and the ear has another one and the nose has another one. Everybody's got the same plan and that plan is spelled out in this book. Now, in the next few weeks, there's going to be some major commitment that you're going to be called on to make. And next Sunday morning, you're going to be asked to sign a card that says whether you're going to play home plate, first base, second base, or third base or in the outfield. You say, well, I don't know if I want to do that. We say we believe this book without error and without apology. If we believe this book, the day you got saved, you bought into play in a position. And you don't even have an option if you say you're saved. Now, let me tell you straight up and straight out. Anybody in this church that won't do something, I want to have an appointment with you and talk to you because I don't think you're saved. Because if you're saved, you will do what Jesus did, and Jesus served people. If you won't serve, you are not saved, period. Or you are so backslidden you couldn't find the Holy Spirit if he snuck up on you. You better get to work, and you better play a position, and you're going to have a place to sign up. And there's not going to be any more of this sitting in the cheap seats. Those days are over, my friends. Say, so, well, what if people leave? Bless God. Then you need to find some place where they like people that sit in cheap seats. We are here with a mission of the Great Commission to go and to tell all people and to reach the world with the gospel. That means all of us have a job to do. All of us have a position to play. All of us have a responsibility. And we don't get to option out. This is not free agency. We signed with a team for life when we signed up with the body of Christ. Say, well, nobody told me that. I'm telling you that right now. You find in this Word where you are relieved from your responsibility, and I'll quit preaching this. 
Or you can go find a preacher in this town that will tell you all you have to do is sit and soak and sour and I would encourage you to be a member there. But as long as you are a member here and as God leads me as a pastor of this church, I'm telling you, it's going to be uncomfortable in this church for you to do nothing, to give nothing, to go nowhere, to do nothing in any capacity. You're going to be uncomfortable and that's the way we intend it to be. Why? Because Jesus Christ makes me uncomfortable with my apathy. And you cannot be in love with Jesus and say, I don't want to do anything in the church. I just want to come and I just want to sit and I don't want to do anything. My friends, that is not an option in the New Testament. Jesus said, if you're going to put your hand to the plow, you better not look back. The man said, let me go first and bury my father. He said, you let the dead bury the dead. You better come with me. The cost of discipleship, the obedience to lordship is clear in the Scripture. And we better follow it. Let's get to the last thing. Let me just cover them with you very quickly. How do you perpetuate team spirit? First of all, you've got to decide what the team's going to be. That's what I'm doing in these messages. I'm setting for you what I believe to be the biblical parameters for what a team ought to be. Some people think they want to play one sport and we're playing something else. I'm telling you, this is what the team is going to look like. This is how we're going to be. This is what we're going to be. Somebody came up to me after the first service and said, well, all I can do is come up here and help with breakfast once a week. I said, you're doing a job. God bless you. Don't apologize for it. Well, I can't do but just serving this thing once a month. God bless you, you're serving once a month. we got people that are perfectly healthy that hadn't lifted a finger in three years. How do you build a team spirit? The first thing you do, and it's not on this list, the first thing you do is the coach has to say, this is what this team is going to look like. If you don't want to play, we'll trade you. It's called transfer of letter. (laughs) By the way, you don't get any money in the deal. (laughs) Number one, be a volunteer and not a bench warmer. You're going to have a chance next Sunday morning to sign a commitment card that says, I want to be a reacher, I want to be a carer, I want to be a teacher, I want to be a trainer, I want to work in the outfield to reach people. Be a volunteer, not a bench warmer. You know the church is the only place in the world where people don't want to play. I mean, you get together a basketball team, you don't see anybody on the basketball team that says, boy, I hope they don't ask me to get out there and play. That's just, I like these outfits. <laughs> Have you ever met a football player that puts on a helmet and shoulder pads, gets all that stuff, gets his ankles taped up and says, well, I hope they just let me stand on the sideline. I hope they don't ask me to go play. I hope they don't let me hit anybody. I hope they don't let me run a touchdown. I hope they don't let me block. I hope they don't let me throw. I don't hope they don't let me do anything. I just want to stand here because I want my uniform clean when it's all over. Listen, we'll give you a clean uniform at the funeral home. You get your uniform dirty now. You ever met a baseball team where everybody on the bench wants to sit the bench and ride the pine? No. You know what they want to do? Let me in the game. I think I can play. Be a volunteer, not a bench warmer. Number two, be a giver, not a taker. Be a giver, not a taker. That's pretty well self-explanatory. Number three, promote the team, not your position. Promote the team, not your position. Number four, play your position. I don't feel like playing today. You know what Joe Namath said? (laughs) More knee surgeries than all of us in this room combined. You know what he said? 
He said, when you win, nothing hurts. I've never hurt when I've won. You see, you play your position. Whether you hurt, when you got the sniffles, it's amazing to me. People go, I got a, I got a runny nose. I don't think I can come to church this morning. You know, I got a runny nose. I got sleep in the corner of my eye. I don't think I can get it out. <laughs> call the Marine Corps base. Call Procter and Gamble. Call Walmart. Call anybody you want to call. Tell them tomorrow. I got a runny nose. I got sleep in the corner of my eye. I don't think I can get it out. I can't come to work today. There's a place for you. It's called unemployment. Number five, pray for your teammates. Number six, encourage your teammates. Number seven, treat every player with respect. Treat every player with respect. Well, I'll tell you what, you know, I'm at home plate. We're the reachers. Those people over there doing all that hand-holding and that caregiving group, they're not much to them. Let me tell you, you can't win a ball game without a first baseman. Everybody on the team is important. Number, where are we? Eight, be willing to use your spiritual gift whenever you're asked. Number nine, this is a key one. Remember, your success is dependent on the success of others. Cheer them on. Remember, your success is dependent on the success of others. Cheer them on. John Wooden, the great basketball coach at UCLA, said, Anytime the ball goes in the basket, it took ten hands to get it there. <laughs> I, I sat behind Coach Hatcher one night at a basketball game. He sat one of the guys down on the bench, and I heard him say this. You played real hard tonight, son. You played real hard. You played stupid, but you played real hard. <laughs> It's not enough for us to play hard. We have to play smart. You don't win ball games and you don't build great churches and you don't touch people's lives for Christ by just going out there and running in circles. You've got to have a goal in mind. There's got to be a reason for what you do. And your success, if you're the shooting guard, your success is dependent on everybody else getting you open. If you're the power hitter and if you're down three runs, it's the guys in front of you that have got to get on base so that you can hit the shot that wins the game. Your success is dependent on the success of everybody else on your team, so cheer them on. Number nine, number ten, don't ever get down on a teammate. He makes a mistake, he blows it, he doesn't cover his position, he's out of position. Don't run him down, love him to Jesus and bring him back and tell him that you'll help him the next time. Let's stand together, please.